0: Okay, I wanted you to think back to the last time you heard the name Orville Tessian. That's right. It was a week ago on this very podcast, and now his name's going to come up again, but not for the very best of reasons, although 94 years is a good life to lead. Uh, I'm Farwell. That over there is Dan Mahar. This is your next episode of the OHL podcast twice weekly until the season starts. You'll get these episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays going to go back to those feature-length interviews once the season is underway as well, but this is just kind of getting you into the rhythm of the season, and I guess, Dansky, getting us into the rhythm of the season a little bit too as it approaches.
1: Yeah, it's always tough to do in summer, and I feel like you can probably relate to that summer brain setting in, so you're trying to remember where we are with hockey, and yeah, it's going to take a while.
0: Tessier's name comes up on the podcast last week, of course, because we were talking about greatest eras of coaching in Kitchener Rangers history and it is probably most people would say that DeBoer spot era but then we got to talking about some of the other eras and Orville Tessier's name came up because of course he preceded Joe Crozier who led the team to its first Memorial Cup and had a heck of a run. Tom Webster's in there Joe McDonnell's in there Jeff Jeff Ward's name pops up in there I mean there have been some pretty decent coaches but I always looked at Orville as the one that sort of started it all he led the team to its first OHL championship they didn't win the Memorial Cup under Tessier but he also had the distinction of being one of only a handful or so of coaches that won championships in both the Q and in the Ontario Hockey League passed away this week at the age of 94 that's a good life and hey up in the cornwall area let me just take this opportunity to say again bring back the royals there you go <laughs> amen yeah tip of the cap to orville but yeah what is what is storied career no question about it uh quickly before we get into and what we're going to focus on uh this week as training camps open is the rosters of teams and i, I thought it was going to look maybe a little dimmer for some teams than others when it comes to the decisions they're going to have to make particularly around overagers, but maybe not. We'll we'll get into that in just a minute. But since we're talking coaches and the late, great Orville Tessier, condolences, of course, to the family and the Ontario Hockey League mourns Orville's passing along with the family. Uh, some other coaching news, and we should give a nod first off to the Hamilton Bulldogs and the naming of Laura Fortino. Nice history with uh, women's hockey in this country, a Hamilton native. She's an assistant coach and director of player personnel, Steve Steos, a year after we should point out the Sarnia Sting drafted Taya Curry into the Ontario Hockey League. Steve Steos, president and GM there in Hamilton, breaks the uh, gender barrier and brings in a female assistant coach in the form of Laura Fortino. That's nice to see in this league.
1: Oh I, yeah. And I think probably the most important thing in Mike is that this is happening commonly now. So it wasn't just, you know, the token uh, female name popped up here and there in the conversations that might get hired or one or two did. It's a landslide right now. And it seems like it's possible organizations are getting it. There's a 50% of the the talent pool was untapped for years. And they're starting to figure out that there's some pretty good brains that we have ignored. And you're you're seeing these announcements frequently. And that's that's a really good thing
0: for hockey. Would it be fair to say that the Toronto Maple Leafs to a degree are sort of leading the way in this I'm not trying to poke you as the Habs fan here but with Haley Wickenheiser's appointment in Toronto obviously hockey markets don't get much bigger or more passionate than that and and maybe we're seeing a, a wee bit of a trickle down there
1: yeah I think Toronto was definitely a leader you see Kyle Dubas obviously made that a priority and brought in some really solid uh women into the organization and of course, never to be outdone. The Habs figured, well, if you got Haley, we're going to go get Marie-Philippe Poulain because might as well have the two greatest female hockey players uh, and the two greatest franchises, right? So there's got to be a little bit of competition going on there.
0: Another one, Cassie Campbell, of course, working with our colleagues at Rogers Sportsnet. You mentioned Kyle Dubas's name. One more coaching note I wanted to make before we move on and, and look at this year's rosters as we get into training camps, like I mentioned, in the Ontario Hockey League. But Dubas's former team in Sault Ste. Marie. End of last season, they announce, quite happily, the re-signing of their entire coaching staff. John Dean as head coach, Jordan Smith and Jamie Tardiff as assistants. Earlier this summer, Jordan Smith off the American Hockey League. And oh, now just this week, Jamie Tardiff goes too. So John Dean is a man. Well, they've, I was going to say he's a man alone on the bench. <laughs> Clearly not. They've already <laughs> named a replacement. Brendan Taylor coming in now to join the uh, Sioux coaching ranks. But departures, after they announced they had wrapped these guys up for the season, the assistants have flown the coop for the American Hockey League, which I guess we look at this, Dan, as kind of par for the course. This league is a development league as much for the coaches as it is for the players, as it is for the officials, as it is for the managers. Kyle Dubas used to be in the Sioux, and now he's running the biggest hockey show in the world.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, I was going to make a joke about maybe the assistant coaches took a look at the roster turnover coming, but okay. that's unfair to the Sioux. They uh, they're going to be fine. But, you know, I think you're right. And it actually ties into the theme of this podcast to some degree that I think there's more turmoil and fluidity these days than ever before in terms of options these coaches and players have available to them. And it leaves some uncertainty in the OHL, that's for sure.
0: You were gonna make a joke about the fluidity of the roster. I was gonna make a joke about John Dean and what had he done to piss these guys off, but I won't do that because <laughs> Deaner's a good guy and we always enjoy our conversations when we're up in the Sioux. Okay, let's dive into uh this year's Ontario Hockey League. And having combed through the rosters as training camp gets underway, I'm just gonna be honest about this, and I'm blaming not COVID brain, but just covid in general because why not it gets blamed for everything else but i had it in my mind dansky that there would be i don't know some glut of overagers that with that lost year you know rosters wouldn't have been managed quite the same but clearly it's just kind of confused me i still found it odd that players that had played a a single season were already being drafted into the national hockey league this past june and you know whatever you've got they lose that whole year obviously with the canceled season but the rosters don't look as bad as I might have thought some intriguing situations for some teams for sure and when I look strictly at overagers as you would expect the Hamilton Bulldogs have got themselves a glut but that's what happens when you make a run for it and I suspect they will use these assets to recoup some of what they spent last year on their run to an OHL championship and Memorial Cup final Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're right. When you look through the rosters, uh, I think one thing that it
1: highlights a little bit is just the interesting planning a lot of OHL teams did around what happened with the pandemic. And I think naturally we probably both assumed, yeah, you're going to have a lot of players uh, coming up to graduation now that leagues resume, but really what a lot of these teams seem to do, and it was for a few reasons, but where they seem to go younger. And part of that was players that were eligible to play in the AHL who weren't before uh, we had a few of those players, but just all around, I think a lot of teams were afraid to go all in, not knowing how things were going to work coming out of the pandemic, not knowing uh, what players were going to be lost to men's leagues. So there wasn't a lot of trading up to really load up rosters with 19 year olds. So I think that planning to go a little bit younger across the league is translating into yet yeah, not as many overagers as you might have thought.
0: So when you look at the landscape as we enter a new OHL season, and we're going to see how things pan out, like a guy like William Porticalis, for example, just announced he's signed in U Sports. So there's a guy that would have been an overager, but to Porticalis's credit, I think he kind of read the tea leaves and thought, you know what, I'm going to take advantage of my education package now and get out and go play some U sports, and and good for him but there's a guy that could have been an overager on an ohl roster not that we haven't seen guys like that come back to the league from time to time too but nonetheless if we're not seeing other decisions like that in the days and weeks ahead are there any teams that strike you as particularly intriguing given their overage situation coming into the season
1: yeah, you know, it's an interesting question because there's definitely a couple intriguing uh, situations and, and Porta Callas is a great example. There's a couple, I think, Lesage and, uh, and Owen Sound. There's a couple of kids that chose to go to the University of Red. We just heard that Owen Bennett has opted not to return to the Gulf Storm. And I think some of those things are cases of players looking at the tea leaves and seeing, you know, there's some competition here. I'm not necessarily going to be a prime time overage player in this league. So never a bad idea to make a decision to go for schooling and education. But to answer your question, intriguing, I think it's hard not to cite the Niagara Ice Dogs as as the intriguing situation there, only because they have they have really loaded up in this offseason. They went out and got themselves three new overagers. And that's a an interesting dynamic. You've got no one returning from, from last year's roster as an overager. So your leadership group is typically your overagers. And none of them are familiar with the team, familiar with the kids. They weren't the kid the kids on the team don't know them haven't so it'll be a little bit of a feeling out process there but that's a team that's clearly committed to turning a leaf from the from the Burke era i guess if you will and and so to me when i look around the league that's that's one franchise whose overage situation i think is really intriguing
0: i think the ice dogs as an organization are going to be intriguing period Ah, uh, this season, for obvious reasons, you just mentioned uh, the the change, the transition from the Burks ownership into the new ownership group. Wayne Gretzky's name is attached to the franchise now, so that's never a bad thing. but it remains to be seen how it translates on the ice and yes, they've certainly been busy. If I'm not mistaken, one of those OAs is going to be Nathan Rebo, right? Via the Windsor Spitfires, via the Sudbury Wolves. So welcome to your third team, Mr. Rebo. But listen, if it's one thing we learned watching Nathan Rebo in this league last year, it's that you had better keep your head up when you come across that blue line. Well, Nathan Rebo, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of
1: trading for overage defenders. So I think a lot of them really come into their own. And you see you see players like you know, Justin Nolay, you see players like that who were not bit players, even at... 19 year old season who are suddenly dynamic as overagers because that maturity that added muscle and Rebo looks to me as a guy who was even a step ahead last year. So as an overager lookout um, and I'll spare you the joke, David Jesus being the other one that, that I'll spare you the joke about uh, the other two overagers following Jesus to uh, to Niagara. So, but I think they, they've got some, some interesting names.
0: Okay, don't ever spare that joke, just for the record. And that just makes the other two the disciples, right? Because they followed Jesus to Niagara. <laughs> so there we go. From now, that, that's, that's the nickname. We've coined it early. The Ice Dogs trio of overagers are Jesus and the disciples. Something else that struck me as interesting. Uh, Windsor is going to be in a really interesting spot much like Hamilton, obviously they, and, and Bill Bowler was not shy about making moves. He's going to be making moves again, two of his overage spots in Onushka and Medina are in goal. And, and tell me how this happened because I had to do a double check, but, Tristan Lennox is going to be an OA. Like, I don't know how that happened. The kid from Cambridge now in OA, but another overage goaltender this time, of course, in Saginaw. I always find OA goaltenders to be an interesting situation, and you tend not to carry one of those unless you think you're going to go all the way. And I don't want to get too deep into predictions here, but I would not suspect either Saginaw or Windsor are expecting to go all the way this year. Yeah, and that's just face. There's just no way
1: Windsor, with the turnover, they're, they're not going to carry two overage goals. The, there's kind of a working theory in junior hockey over the years that you know you don't want to waste an overage spot on a goalie or a European player because it kind of double dips on. I'm, I'm not sure about the wisdom of that across the board because if you have an outstanding player um, who just happens to be a European and an overager or a goaltender and an overager, you want them on your roster. But with that wisdom in mind, and most of these teams think this way, I would expect some of those, some of those players you just mentioned to be on the move. Seems like Tristan Lennox was yeah. 17 year old goalie yesterday. And it also seems like his name has been kind of out there in trade rumors every day. So, so that's a name I, I think you might see move.
0: Okay. One more name I want to talk about as an overager and then take a quick look at the teams that I think might be in the market to add one of those OAs who may end up on the market because obviously teams can only carry three. You also mentioned European players. We'll get into a, an interesting situation with regard to imports as well in just a moment. But here's the other name I'm going to throw out there to you. And and it was a, it was a name again that I had to do a double take on. I'm like, really, this guy's an OA all of a sudden? Sean McGurn. Now I think it's intriguing for a couple of reasons. The first is probably, judging from your chuckle there is because he's a London Knight, but, but we know that Dale Hunter loves his older players. He loves his veterans and he will ride them as hard as he can. And as far as those players will take him what's so it's, it's intriguing. I I'm intrigued to see the step that McGurn takes because he took a monster step last year, but, and here's the other intriguing part. We could argue that step last year came with the little bit of help from guys like Luke Evangelista and Tony Stranges, So what does McGurn sans those players look like this year? And of course, with Brett Brochu as your overage goaltender, you think that one's solidified in London, but I'm really curious as to what the season looks like for Sean McGurn this year.
1: Yeah, he's a, he's a really interesting one. I almost cited London as the other intriguing overage situation. Cause they, they have some options available to them. I think you're right. Brochu is a fairly obvious one, but when you see, a player like Bryce Montgomery seems to have fallen slightly out of favor there for one reason or another. And and you have a guy like McGurn, who's a real coach's favorite there. And oftentimes you see players like McGurn who take a long time to kind of establish themselves as, as an OHL player, but then they make real strides uh, in that their 19 year old year and could have a huge breakout year. And you, you saw it with, you know, they had two overagers last year and Morgan and Baber who, who kind of carried a lot of the mail for them. And those are, kids that that bloomed a little late too so I just see McGurn as the next in that line of they constantly seem to have in London of guys that come out of the woodwork and and perform as overagers
0: you know you just got me thinking of something else a little bit random here but when when you mentioned Bryce Montgomery and I'm not trying to predict anything's going to happen but when you look at it's true. You've got Jared Keane as the other OA there who's a nice solid defenseman for the London Knights. So Keane, McGurn, Brochu, maybe your trio might leave Montgomery on the outside looking in. Remains to be seen. The point is, again, teams with excess OAs are going to have to unload them at some point because you, you can only carry, you can only have three dressed each and every night. You can only carry the four for a little while. So I'm wondering now, too, what the trade market looks like. To go back to something you said earlier, and maybe there was that hesitancy last season because you didn't really know what was what and how how hard are you going to go after things and what assets are you deeming uh, expendable even in a go-for-it kind of season. And I'm thinking particularly about the market that we call home. and If it's been something that we've learned about Mike McKenzie in his time as general manager of the Kitchener Rangers, it's that he tends to prefer deals that get done in the off season before camp breaks. Well, camp is breaking, no moves, all is quiet on the Kitchener front. I wonder what we're going to see when it comes to movement of players this year, who blinks first and when does it all start? What do things look like? Or are we just going to be waiting and waiting and waiting until January the 10th?
1: Yeah. You know, and I, I'm a big fan of the off season buying if you're a, a buyer if you're a seller i'm not so sure because the prices all seem to be lower in the summer and and that's why a lot of these teams steal overage players for a song who come in and end up being a core player for who might have gone at the deadline for three four times the price so that philosophy is really good now when kitchener with mike mckenzie i think we heard him heard him say that uh he's got a, a lot of players that are ohl caliber and he wants to give them a bit of camp to see who steps up to the occasion who's fitting in different slots before he starts making moves so something's going to give there i I believe and you'll see it probably early to mid camp when when he starts to identify here's the three or four names that it might be able to move
0: mike mckenzie never shy about making moves bill bowler never shy about making moves kyle raftus never shy about making moves roger hunt never shy about making moves dale hunter Dale and Mark aren't too shy either so we've got some teams that have some options that are also not afraid to dip that toe into the proverbial trading pool too so it might be an interesting start to the season not only on the ice because we're back to quote unquote normal in the OHL with East versus West and you know a more regular schedule but also we might see some activity in the early days too.
1: I think it's inevitable when you look at and you scan those preseason rosters, there's an awful lot of question marks uh, and that leaves a lot of teams with, with excess talent, uh, certainly at some positions. And yeah, I think more so than probably ever, you're going to see some, some movement ahead of that season start in September. So the next month might get a little crazy. Okay.
0: Before we get into the, intriguing aspect of imports this year one more thing on overagers and that was three teams and I'll just throw them out there as a group but that I identify as potential targets for overagers to land uh one in particular where I see it but I've got Ottawa Owen Sound and Peterborough all with room to add and and I think about that Owen Sound team again I'm trying to not Look, saw them a ton last year, so there's a bias associated with that. But you, you saw that crop of rookies as well as I did with Gandon, Barlow, and Petrovsky. And and these guys were unconscious through virtually the entire season. Now, is there a sophomore slump? Who knows? We'll see what the season looks like. But I, I'm thinking if I'm Dale DeGray, another guy that's not necessarily shy about making moves, if you get off to the right start in Owen Sound... A nice veteran piece might be just what the doctor ordered up there at the Bay Shore. but Owen Sound along with Ottawa and Peterborough are three teams I'm looking at right now as potential landing spots for OAs on the market.
1: Yeah. And they, th- those teams jump out at you as teams that are going to do something to add an Or Ottawa knows they can compete every year. They're going to add one. They're not, they're not going to run a slot short, but that, does that Owen Sound team remind you a, a tiny bit of the Guelph Storm of last year where- oh maybe arrived a little bit early and said, wow, we might need to do something here because this is a window for us, maybe a year sooner than we thought because they really, they
0: really look strong to me. So now you just got me thinking of another name in George Burnett, who the minute the the trading window opened in the summertime, it wasn't a big deal, but it was a little minor tweak to his roster. I think I should just name every OHL GM and decide they're all Trader Joe's because it seems to be there's not a whole lot of uh, shyness when it comes to opportunity to make one's team better. OK, uh, one more thing, and, and you brought this up, and I do think it's pretty interesting, and that is around imports. And the way you're looking at things this year, and by the way, this week, the Kitchen Rangers announced that uh, one of their imports, defenseman Tomas Hamara, is showing up third rounder to the Ottawa Senators. So that's a nice piece for the Kitchener Rangers blue line. But we're, and I guess on that same token, let's just finish the thought with Philip Mesar, Hab's property. It seemed to be conventional wisdom that it would be a good fit to see him sent to Kitchener by Montreal, especially after Montreal just saw the way the Rangers were able to develop a guy like Arbor Jacki. but no movement on Mesar just yet. And this might be in your mind, Dan, indicative of a little bit of a, a slow burn when it comes to filling those import spots. You've got the players, but are they coming? Yeah. And one of the things the
1: OHL will always be challenged with is the dates don't really line up that well with the NHL for these kind of things. Uh NHL camps are really just getting going at the time the the OHL season starts. So you're not giving them a lot of time to make those decisions. I think with Hamara, you saw a case where clearly the OHL was going to be his destination this year. He's only an 18 year old player, third round pick. Ottawa's got a glut, a glut of young talent. Uh, they were pretty comfortable assigning him here early, um, bring him to, to main camp later, send him back to Kitchener. Philippe Michard is a slightly different uh, situation. You've got a kid there who was a first round pick who played with men last year who they see as potentially being ready for some some duty, if not at the NHL. It's unlikely at the NHL level this year, but even seeing if what he can do at the HL level. And I think uh, they've already said they want to play an offensive role and get lots of power play time, lots of minutes. Sounds a lot like Kitchener to me. But I wouldn't be at all shocked to see him start the year with LaBelle, get a few games there in October and see how things are going before they make a decision there. But yeah, the the point being that there's going to be a few teams that might be waiting a little longer to know how their roster is going to shape up. And there's going to be some teams with holes to plug in in November, December when they learn they might not be getting the guy they wanted.
0: You talk about some of these players and their opportunity to play last season with men, for example, in elite European leagues. I, I think this speaks to the rather great mystery that the import draft is to many fans of the Canadian hockey league. Some people will tell you right off the hop, it's the most corrupt draft in the entire sporting world, because (laughs) there's, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. It's, it's pretty well known, even as selections are being made, who was going where and, and why, if I could put it that way, because those agents are, well, they're looking to help their players out and help themselves out when they come over from Europe. But the, the point, the other point of this is there are, a lot of options for these young men, be it closer to home in Europe or the chance maybe to land in a, in a pro league here in North America.
1: hundred percent. That's a big issue right now is there's a lot of options and you're seeing it right now with uh, Jakub Kromiak, who is the Sudbury Wolves' pact is high in that import draft and they thought he was coming, going to be a big piece of their team now. And now there's some uncertainty and there's still some discussions there with the agency and, and where he might land. So You're right. There's options. There's plenty of options for these players. And and the days of them committing in June behind the scenes and showing up the first day of camp are starting to slip away for some of these high-profile players with lots of options.
0: Do you think if the Sudbury Wolves committed to getting a new damn wolf on a wire, Chromiak would show up? Like, show them the existing mangy animal that is on that wire and then say, but We'll get you the brand new stuffed animal with lasers shooting out of its eyes. And you're going to love it. Come on over to Sudbury. Oh yeah. And the train horn too.
1: Just to uh, a I, I, I do have it on good authority that he was about to sign on the dotted line when they ran that thing on the ceiling. And he's like, wait, that thing is that mangy thing is going to be above me every game this year. No, thank you. Going back to Europe.
0: I will miss it when it's gone. But all I'm asking for, because there's there's just something about the nostalgia, but just put just get a new wolf, please. That thing yeah. looks like it's been there since Mike Foligno played there. Not coached <laughs> there, but played there. That's what I'm telling yeah. you about the wolf. And he, Even mangier, too, than Mike Foligno. So that's <laughs> that. <laughs> OK, we're going to next time we see him at the rink, I'm going to point him in the direction of your spot. <laughs> That's what's going to happen when Felino shows up. All right. He is Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell. This is the OHL podcast. Uh, hey, give us a like. Give us a review. Tell your friends you were listening and you loved it. Yes, lie to your friends, but tell them about this podcast and get them on board as well. Shoot us an email anytime at Podcast at rogers.com. If you've got feedback, if you've got a suggestion, if there's a guest you want to hear from, we're just getting going for another season and training camps are underway. Next episode coming up this Friday, Dan and I will take a look at the players that we think are poised for a jump this season who should you be keeping your eyes on and where that's uh, on the next episode of the ohl podcast which comes out friday don't forget like subscribe send us an email ohlpodcast at rogers.com.